so oftentimes, and this is another big part of, I guess you could say being an elastic athlete is we coach people into positions. Hey, you're running, get your knee here, put your hand here, or you're swimming, put your hand like this. And the, the coach might have a position that they're trying to get the athlete to do or any skill you could imagine. But the problem is, is if we become very positional in the way we coach, it decreases our ability to react. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined the line later today by Joel Smith. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I'm going to give you the quickest recap in the history of recaps, mostly, as you can tell, feeling a little bit under the weather. I think my body has finally revolted against me. <laughs> the last six, seven weeks have been an absolute whirlwind. I think we had three weeks of working evenings, got a week vacation or trip. If you have children, it was more of a trip <laughs> vacation, came back, moved IFAST for two weeks. And just as I was starting to settle in, tall Dave had his second child. So I have been on mornings ever since. So I think my body has finally just told me, listen, champ, you are not in- invulnerable here. Like you need to take some breaks. You need to slow down. So doing my best to manage myself, manage my energy. But yes, finally, a little bit of illness has caught up to me. So As far as what's new, not a ton. As I already mentioned, working mornings, loving reconnecting with some of our morning people. We've got some new morning people in there that, you know, I've been enjoying getting to know, understanding their training history, what brought them to iFast. So it's just good to just plug back in and and get to know or or maybe learn a little bit more about people uh, that have been in your doors. Some people, like I said, are totally brand new. Others, I mean, one of the guys that I was working with in the evening a couple weeks ago has been an IFAST client for like 11 years. So if you're doing the math, we've only been there 13. So he is really, truly an IFAST OG. So it's been great to just be plugged in with everybody, reconnect, meet some new people, kids killing it in school, in life, basically. Cade is doing well in basketball. He's actually got his first game coming up this weekend. So we're excited for that. And it's fun watching these little guys grow and get to learn the game. I mean, I grew up absolutely loving basketball. And so it's fun to give back and to teach them a little bit more about the game and how to play. Kendall's soccer team won yesterday in indoor eight to one. And again, I know I've talked about this a couple of times in recent shows, but it's great to see young kids when you give them a very tangible or specific point. So yesterday in indoor soccer, if you kick a ball, I mean, it's a very flat, hard surface. So if you kick it with any kind of pace, that ball will go end to end in the field. And so we had this issue yesterday where girls would kick the ball or pass it to a teammate and the teammate wouldn't touch it. And so it would just roll right to the defense versus sticking their foot out, then turning and trapping the ball and then looking at the field and figuring out what's in front of them. So we made this point in the game yesterday and lo and behold, girls that had done this like all year, like literally the entire fall and the entire winter season up to this point, stopped doing it. One girl in particular, literally three times in the ro- in a row, you know, the ball was passed to her. She trapped, turned and looked at the play ahead of her. So just fun to teach, you know, these young people, the games that we grew up playing, teach them about being coachable, which I think is something that's lost in a lot of instances these days. So again, not a lot going on, but all good stuff. And uh, I can tell you for sure, I got to lick this thing because I got three podcasts lined up to record this Thursday. So I got a couple of days to get myself healthy, but man, got a really good lineup of people here coming up in the next couple of weeks. So 
That is it for me. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with Joel Smith. Trust me, guys, you're not going to want to miss this one. It seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in this industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification takes the last 20 years of my life's work and puts it all into one massive course. In it, you're gonna learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. One of the best pieces of feedback I've gotten about the Complete Coach Cert is that people that train gin pop people and people that train high-level athletes and everyone in between is taking something away from the course. You also learn how to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. You're gonna learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting, to pressing and pulling, and everything in between. And last but not least, I've got an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Now, of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the certification only open twice per year for a limited time. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will open soon. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on that insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Cert when it launches. Joel Smith is the founder of Just Fly Sports and is a strength and track coach based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Joel hosts the Just Fly Performance Podcast and has authored several books on athletic performance, as well as creating the Elastic Essentials online course and training philosophy. Joel was formerly a strength coach for eight years at UC Berkeley, working in Olympic sports, and in this time was able to work with a wide variety of athletes, including many Olympic qualifiers and medalists in swimming. A track coach of 15 years, Joel coached for the Diablo Valley Track and Field Club for seven years, and also has six years of experience coaching on the NCAA level, working at Wilmington College and the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. He now coaches track and field on the high school level and is active in youth sports coaching in Loveland, Ohio. In this show, Joel and I take a deep dive into what he deems elastic training, which isn't to be confused with traditional plyometric training. As the title implies, we're literally going to break it all down to the who, what, when, where, and why, albeit not quite in that order. I really enjoyed chatting with Joel, and I think you're going to find he's got an incredibly well thought out way of training. But enough for me. Let's do this. Joel, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so a little bit's happened probably since last time we yeah. sat down able to record. So right now for me, I guess I'll I'll give a quick five minute nutshell and then maybe some things that have been happening recently. Yeah. Uh, so I am a 
I guess, just a born mover. Like I've always loved movement and sprinting and jumping and, and outputs and just things that like athletic outputs was such a passion of mine for a long time. I was a track and field athlete as a basketball player, always wanted to dunk and, and everything that went with that. And so the whole like plyometric and like elastic training type thing, if you will, was a really big part of my life. And it still is. I was a college track coach for let's see, two, six years uh, on a somewhat full-time division three level basis. Then I, so from there, I had a very interesting transition uh, because there's so many, when I went to graduate school, I remember my advisor saying, well, do you want to be a track coach or a strength coach? And I actually, I mean this, I hope I don't incriminate myself, but, (laughs) and looking in the rear view mirror, the, the people, it would have been a totally different story had it been different people I interned under, but my early internships were just very like, uh, like very just static regimented lift this way yelling at the athletes right. like type situations where there wasn't any creative like potential there was no biomechanics it was just it was just sweat and blood and which is again there's there's good things in that in that archetype like and i i learned more about that as the years go on but that just right. was not nearly as cool to me as the outputs in track and field where it's this blend of how do you set up the training how does the biomechanics meet these outputs? And then you have so many elements in that whole system. And anyway, so I chose track for that first six years, but like the strength and conditioning industry was calling my name in that like pure form. So, and it's funny because there's so many people in all these, I mean, I know you've done shows on the intern wheel and how hard it is to get some of these jobs. And I just kind of got in the back door in a division one university at UC Berkeley because I happened to be a track coach who also had a strong strength and conditioning background as a CSCS. And it was just like super fortunate uh, jump from D3 to a division one opportunity. Took that, spent eight years in full-time division one strength and conditioning, although I was still coaching club track and field and keeping that an important part of what I was doing. And then just recently, so about a year, just a little over a year ago, uh, I went full-time just private sector, doing just fly sports. I moved back to the Midwest. So go Midwest. Yeah. Uh, affordable living and close to family and just so many things. And so that's been super fun so far. I feel like there was something else I was going to say in there. Yeah. Just, uh, just fly sports. Also my online uh, writing and podcasting and educational resource has also been, it's been going for about 10 years now. So I've been doing that's that crazy. as well. And um, that's my, my quick story. Hopefully I didn't take too long. No, 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 no. That was perfect. So that leads me right into my next question. So, you know, you've had a lot going on. And like you said, big transition, moving back private, being in the Midwest. Like, what else is new? Like, what is new in the world of Joel Smith in 2021? Yeah. So I guess if you look at like some of these big like lifetime opportunities, one that I had this summer that was really cool was I was able to go to Rafe Kelly's Return to the Source retreat. So it's like a whole week of you're basically out in the woods in northern Washington, almost Canada. Oh wow! And yeah, it was it was so cool in the in the summer. Just once the heat wave had kind of died down, but it was funny. I went to that retreat thinking, I, like I really love Rafe stuff, but I still actually didn't know exactly what what all this was. I'm like, we're we just doing parkour in the woods. Like what, <laughs> what's going on here? And as I the more I got along in that retreat, it had such a profound impact on me. And the big one was more so like one being just man in nature which has really connected with a view that I've been building for a long time, which is this idea of, I like, like, I think sports technology offers a very interesting benefit, but you also think like 
at some point, how close are we getting to the matrix where like everything is data, everything is right. quantitative, we're losing the human element of things. And I think that can expand to all elements of life, not just sport. And I know you yourself coaching youth sports, like you just see the pure aliveness of the human yeah. being. And it's like that. And I've actually, that's something I'm doing now too. I forgot to mention, I, I coached my five-year-old daughter's soccer team this past. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that was awesome. Love yeah. it. I mean, like, I'm getting excited just talking about just being able to make a difference and work in youth sports because it's so pure. You don't get paid for it. It's just all about the kids and seeing them just take steps, you know, and yeah. a lot of it on that level being emotional and and societal, like just feeling comfortable and breaking through anxiety barriers to to do things athletically. And so anyways, in that retreat, though, a lot of what I learned outside of just furthering kind of the nature element and that whole thing is the idea of embodiment and that each physical thing you do has a unique, just let's just say mental element. Like if yeah. I'm doing jujitsu, that offers me a specific, I might need that in my life, like more than heavy weightlifting, for example, at one right. point or sprinting for, or whatever, or rock climbing may give me a unique holistic benefit. I think we just so often look at exercise as, well, what physiological things will it give me? How big will it make my muscles right. or whatever? And not to say that's bad, but so that's been something I've been thinking about a lot. And we were talking right before the show started, I've been doing some rollerblading. My wife bought me some <laughs> rollerblades. And I even think just about that, like how does that, you know, feeling of moving fast, faster than normal and, and frontal plane, but it's just a different, you know, out, it's a out different the input. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's been a really big part of what I've been thinking about lately as I just, I, I'm looking always to connect dots. Um, maybe it's just like, you know, I'm getting closer to 40 now. So it's like, you're, you're different <laughs> you could tell me all about that. Right? Yeah. 43, Anyways. man. 43. Yeah. It's been, uh, I, the thing that I think is fun is like always circling back to like things you enjoy. Right. And I think there's a certain staleness if you do anything for too long. So that's where like, man, I've, strength trained for a long time and so it's fun like i've gotten back out a couple times with my guy joey burton who's like a local basketball skills guy i say local only because he lives locally but he's really good but yeah like it's been so much fun getting back on the court and working on like basketball skill development because i never really had that growing up i had team basketball coaches but never an individual skills trainer so learning you know more about the nuance of the sport and footwork and yeah, I mean, I just love that stuff. So that's why I laughed when you told me about the rollerblades because you remind me of just like this big kid, you know? Yes. So like I could totally see you getting rollerblades and just crushing it around your neighborhood, man. Yeah, and I would love to, like with the basketball, I played in high school too. And it's funny, like as we grow, like looking back, I'm like, man, I wish I would have done more of this. And right, this, absolutely. This. And that's why I wasn't, I mean, for me, it's like I was more of an individual sport person and I can see why. But if I could go back, I, there's so many things I could have done that would have been beneficial, not from a, just basketball, but I think me as a member of a team too, yes. that would have been really good. And again, just for coaching youth sports is really cool. And I feel like if I keep coaching it, like six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, and the space expands and all those, all those things people talk about with perception reaction will slowly make more sense to me because yes. it starts on the easiest level and then I get to build out. So that's yeah. been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Okay, so I've got like a ton of questions for you here today, but I want to start with a very simple one first. What initially led you to your interest in plyometric and elastic training? I know it's something I've listened to your show. We've, you know, talked numerous times. What led you to that interest to start? Yeah, so I've been obsessed with, I'm trying to remember probably at what age it was like, I want to jump as high as I can. And I think when I, I was probably like, 
fifth grade. It was one of those things where I had a lot of awkwardness and I changed schools a few times when I was younger and sure. had a lot of awkwardness fitting in, especially like that. Oh, the middle school was, that was school I just for all of us. So that yeah. was, and so for me, it was like something I could do that people were impressed with, I guess, is I could, and I was a tall kid too and have long arms, but I could jump and touch these beams in the classroom. And that was like my thing. It's like, oh, Joel can, he can jump, he can do that. And so that evolved into, can I touch the rim? Can I dunk? And I, the type of person I am is just, I'm insanely curious about the things that I'm like really into. Yeah. And so I just researched everything and it just did all the plyometric programs. I did air alert. And then it eventually landed on this thing called the science of jumping, which was so ahead of its time back in the day. It was so ahead of its time. And so then that was like the depth jumps and all that stuff. Yeah. And that I just, that was the first time I did an exercise, like a program, because everything else, like air alert, or I gained a couple inches, fun, that was fun, and then kind of topped off real fast, and right. wow, this is really hard doing 150 squat jumps, I, why am I doing this again? <laughs> but like, you do like just a few sets of depth jumps, like three sets of 10 or whatever, and then, you know, along with some other things, and then four days later, I just jumped two and a half inches higher and it was easy. Like what, right. what just happened? And so, and looking back though, too, I, I mean, I think I intensified early. If you want to say that, like I did all the stuff early, right. So that's in my like early to mid twenties, there wasn't a whole lot left to do in some senses. Right. But that, that just, it just took off from there. And so it was literally scouring every method you could come up with. And a lot of that centered around depth jumps, but it was also a thing where lately I would say the last five years, especially I actually see how depth jumps and those powerful movements are actually disconnected from some actual jump and, or you could even say sprint or whatever biomechanics where that means became an end for me real fast. And then it became in my mid twenties. It's like, man, I'm doing all these like high powered plyometrics. I'm jumping over hurdles that I've or higher than I've ever done. My depth jump ability is better, but in some ways, I mean, I could do some nasty dunks when I was 18. I mean, I jumped and touched, I'm, about six foot, almost six one without my shoes on. I kind of have kind of long arms and I could touch two or three inches above that square on top of the back. Oh my so gosh. Like 11, seven. Yeah. I was, I was could get, You're getting this up was there. 18. Yeah. This was age 18. And this was, and that year, funny enough, like it, when I was 17, it's funny. I almost feel like it's kind of funny how I have like all these years chronicled, like, okay, I was 15, <laughs> I did this, I was 16, I did this. Yeah. It was 17, 16 and 17. I was doing all the depth jump stuff. And then 18, I, did like just the school strength and conditioning class and just kind of, it was funny because it was Husker strength and I had kind of doctored it up a little bit. I'm like, all right, man, they want us to lift heavy four days a week. Well, I'm just going to pick these two days and I'll just kind of, you know, do medial weight the other days. And, and then we just, just play basketball and just dunked and whatever. And, and that year I actually just exploded because it was almost like the depth jumps gave me what I needed from a nervous system perspective that overload specifically. And then it was almost like the next year just did some strength and just plugged it into playing and jumping and trying right. all these new things. And it was actually after a bunch of wind sprints that they had to practice that I just felt amazingly good and just went up and popped an 11, seven jump. And so it's just, it's interesting because all the plyometrics later in the mid twenties, I don't think, I don't know that I could have done that to be honest, maybe, yeah. but it's just, so it's just been unpacking. Well, what, how could I do that so early despite getting stronger and so many, I mean, my clean went up like 75 pounds, you know, like, yep. and so all these from, from 18 to 25 or 26, right? So you're just looking at the purest and, and, and I know you're going to ask me about elastic training. I'll just say it as long as I'm on it. But to me, elastic training is the purest function of the human body. It actually isn't explicitly plyometrics. It's more just what is the most basic level of function and 
I don't know. I'll, I'll save that answer for, for a little bit later because I don't want to yeah. call it functional training either. But so it's just been my, my thoughts on how the human body works and how we really adapt. I love it. I love it. So that's kind of what I envision today being, right? Like just knowing our discussions, knowing kind of the way I think you like to train again, just from listening to a lot of your podcasts. I kind of envision today being like the the who, what, when, where, and why of elastic training, just not in that order. I want to make it a little bit more cohesive. So let's just dive in there. Like for starters, what is plyometric or elastic training? And like, how would you define that? Is it just like, like you said, just like very natural human movement? Yeah. So yeah, that's a good question. Cause I do think as soon as you say elastic training, the first thing that would come up is jump training, plyometrics. Yes, absolutely. It, in so many ways, I guess you could say it is, but to me, it has come out of my transition from, so I was track and field for six years, started strength and conditioning full-time in let's say 2012. And I actually was so green in many senses of the word as a first time full-time strength coach at age 28, 29. And I started that transition, that job. If you would have looked at my old workouts, I wish I could, I, they're probably around somewhere, but it was so much lifting. Like yeah. in the terms of everything that was being done in the session, it was like, all right, here's your movement prep, you know, 10, 15 minutes, go in a circuit, do all these movement preppy types things, you know, monster band walks or whatever was popular back then. And then we'll go to lifting and then we'll finish with auxiliaries and then we'll do some mobility so you can get deep into your squat. Like, and right. I, I just felt like it was just, it was very interesting. And I wasn't, it was stuff too. I'll say this, like, as I was doing that, it wasn't something I was excited about as a coach. And a lot of times you could see that on the athletes. Now it depended yep. what kind of athletes a little bit. Like I worked with a lot of different athletes at Cal. I worked with track and field. I worked with swim. Uh, I worked with tennis and water polo. And what's interesting is you do have on that like swim level or, or part, some of the track athletes, they're going to work hard no matter what they want to be. They're very individual driven. They can deal with more, a more quote unquote, I guess you could say mundane weight room routine sure. versus a tennis player not so much like right. they want to play, they want to have fun and in water polo as well in many, in many ways, although water polo is a little bit more of a, it's a tougher sport than tennis, right. <laughs> uh, way, way tougher, but right. there's still, I want to have fun type attitude. And so it was interesting just seeing, and, and one of the big, like just the big thing that hit me was seeing a lot of the players in for tennis in my first few years, just how like not excited they were about lifting and then I'd go watch them on the court and everything changed. Just like see all this like explosive change of direction emotion, like explosive serving. And like the, the outputs that I was seeing when they played were like so much greater than anything in the weight room. I mean, right. to me, I'm like, this is where these guys are getting the majority of their athleticism with their current attitude towards the lifting. I mean, the best I can do is just keep them healthy right? and or you give them things to balance out what they're doing on the court. And so as I went along the eight years I spent at Cal, it became this thing where every year seemed to be just a little bit less lifting, a little bit less lifting until, I mean, it's not like we stopped lifting altogether and it depended on the team, but it was this transition where we put in more body weight work, uh, more stuff in the warmup that was made more flowy, if you will, more games yeah. or more rhythm, more things that capture aliveness in athletes and uh, so th just that shift and in, during that shift, I just felt like I was able to give a lot more benefit to athletes in the tennis team, just looking at injury rates. And we all know those can be a variety of factors. Like sure. it's just the group you have. So I'm not saying like, oh yeah, this is like a hundred percent, like the big thing, but 
I noticed a massive drop in injury rates, especially like the first year where definitively decreased the barbell and especially the bilateral barbell volumes and really started doing a lot more body weight, like body weight holds and things like that. And then I just feel like that was furthered and furthered by the more games and the more aliveness I put in. And so unpacking all that, and I'll say too, the, the other big, just massive influence came with working with swimming. When I was, I, I laugh because I knew so little about swimming when yeah. I started. I mean, it was so bad. Like, I mean, you're talking to the person who, when I was probably eight, I think they I, I didn't get past to the next level of swim lessons because like I couldn't do the butterfly very well. And right. I just remember struggling. Like we'd be doing the warm up in those swim lessons and like these kids, these little kids are killing it. And I'm like just thrashing the water and just getting right. so tired. And, I, and and looking back at it, I do think I just have heavier bones. I have stiffer like ankle joints, especially those flippers that the feet are. My feet are not that. They're built for jumping and generating the requisite stiffness and running jumps. And right. I mean, not that you can't have that, but I just am not, it just wasn't something I was suited for. And when I started, I didn't even know that like breaststroke was the slowest stroke. Like it was, <laughs> it was really, really bad. And, but it's almost good because I, I was such a blank slate and in working with the women's team at Cal in particular, just the way that they approached motor learning was amazing. I mean, it made everything better for me uh, at the core of that was so oftentimes, and this is another big part of, I guess you could say being an elastic athlete is we coach people into positions. Hey, you're running, get your knee here, put your hand here, or you're swimming, put your hand like this. And the, the coach might have a position that they're trying to get the athlete to do or any skill you could imagine. But the problem is, is if we become very positional in the way we coach, it decreases our ability to react. Yeah. So we're finding positions. We're searching for positions. I remember very clearly watching uh, two swimmers at one point in time. And they were both elite level distance swimmers on the NCAA level. And the one of them had won multiple national championships. The other guy was really close, but not quite there. But then the guy who was this elite that had won all these championships, you watch his, like the way his hands entered the water. I just, it, this was so definitive for me. And it was like, he was just reacting to the water and just, just like everything, like he did, he wasn't trying to find a position. You could just see his hands forming to the water tension. Whereas the other guy, the guy who's a little bit behind him, everything was a position. It's like every stroke, he was finding this position that he had in his head that he needed to be. And so then I just thought of every like sprint drill that people are coached into. Not that I don't think that stuff is going to make you a bad athlete. I, I think David Weck gave a good example of like an athlete warming up with a skips for the combine and then goes and sprints it completely different. and just burns up the track, you know, like, right. So good athletes can always be good athletes, but to me, part of the elasticity is this process of helping whatever your skill. And for me, the easiest ones are the ground-based running and jumping. But how do I teach athletes to, to locomote, to run, to, to do jumping variations in a way that fits with being reactive? Yep. To fit in a way that just, is, yeah, I can feel the ground. I sense the ground. I feel what's going on. Not just I, oh, my coach said I should be in this position, so I'm going to do that. Because I used to run like that. It was funny. I was the drill master when I was coaching track at Wilmington college. I could, my athletes are the athletes I worked with. I tried to, I tried to say my athletes, the athletes I was working with, they're like, Oh, coach has got such good running form. And then we actually run like a 150. Like I'd run with the athletes and they would blow me away running with like low knees and right. all sorts right. of like quote unquote crap mechanics. And here I am like trying to hit these nice positions and just getting dusted. And so it just, again, it goes with nature. How does an athlete form in nature, that natural athlete who wasn't, wasn't coached like, and doesn't need to be actually in so many ways. I mean, there are some cases where you need to, but 
how do we naturally form skills and skill acquisitions and be reactive? And so that's the other. So it's it's free energy return, uh, being an elastic athlete. Yep. It's working with your body weight effectively, and it's reacting to the thing you're doing, not just this pre-programmed positional idea, but being able to sense and react in space. So okay. that would be, hopefully I've, I've condensed that fairly well. No, I love that. I love that. Okay. So, and I feel like you already started talking about this a little bit, but Give me some insight as to why we should be doing more of this in our programs, because, you know, there's a subset of people that are still like barbells or everything. Barbells are life. Like, I don't do all this other stuff. Like, explain to the listeners, like, why this should be of value, why this should be in more programs. Yeah, at, you know, there's different places you could zoom out to. I've had talks with like Corey Schlesinger, for example, on mm -hmm. this idea. And I think this stems from. This is at least my thought. I'd be curious what you think about this, actually. But in my idea, and I love watching um, or seeing on social media, Zach Evanesh posts all these like old school strongmen and bodybuilders. And there's like an archetype to that. Yeah. There's there's like a it's this like spirit of strength. <laughs> and I think that, you know, especially like for me, I was young, scrawny, like skinny and like experiencing a barbell was so just good for me on every level, not just like, I guess you could say sport transfer, but just, it's something that I needed to learn from. Yep. And I think so many of us actually, like in many ways, one of the, I'm working on a series of questions for a podcast I'm doing, and it's the idea of males don't really have an initiation. I don't want to take this off the rails, but there's not like yeah. this, like we're in a tribe where there's like, oh, you have to kill a lion and come back. There's not really much initiation for males. And I think so many find it through the barbell and it's so yeah. giving. But there becomes that point, in my opinion, where if you're going to be training athletes, like, yes, you have that part of it. But then you need to move beyond it into other elements of athleticism. Yes. I mean, I've been schooled in basketball by a 5'9 WNBA all-star repeatedly. I remember <laughs> playing her at Cal. I mean, who vertical jump probably like 18 inches, not fast, but just had just a battery of moves. And every time I thought I had her, like knew what she was going to do on offense, she had another move and I just was like totally lost. Yeah. And you just realize in sport, I mean, yes, we want to be strong, but there's so much more to it. And so even in the world of outputs, the outputs of a barbell is similar, but not the same as outputs with body weight. Yeah. So doing various body, even just sprinting. I mean, sprinting is very different than outputs that you would get even doing a clean and things like that. And so, and back to my tennis example, watching athletes playing tennis, changing directions, explosively sliding yeah. and move. We take for granted just how much muscle activation in a very specific manner is happening in all these sports. And so I just think that sometimes coaches who perhaps were given so much by the barbell, it's like, that's maybe part of the reason they wanted to coach is because they want athletes to experience that too. Absolutely. How want you experience this? And, and I do, I, I absolutely do. But I also realize that that's not everything. That mm -hmm. is a small part of it. For some could be a bigger part uh, for some athletes, maybe some athletes who maybe don't have the sport potential. They might be even more drawn to that because they want a little bit more of that. And I think we've seen that like the athlete who might sit on the bench and isn't as gifted, just loves the weight room more. Yeah. You know, they want, they want more of that stuff. And, but at the end of the day, we don't, play sports with a bar on our back. We don't right. play sports with that compression on ourselves. Yeah. We play with our body weight and with balls moving in the air and humans. And so you have to disconnect yourself from the barbell for just a bit to see that. 
and even like the the context of what is mental toughness like what is mental toughness grinding out like a you know, body weight hold or a set of squats or a bike sprint versus the mental toughness that's in context of there's balls flying around and there's opponents trying to steal it from you and there's pressure and there's a huge audience like it's just so different and yeah. so i think the big divide though is is stepping into body weight so that's like one of the big ones it's just okay let's step away from weights let's go into the thing that you're actually going to play with it's higher velocity there's less compression there's more degrees of freedom there's more balance involved and sometimes that's almost a dirty word right <laughs> you know like that's probably the big one there and well, i want to make one point here because as somebody that loved force and strength development for a long time right like i competed in powerlifting, i kind of found what i was good at the longer i do this the more I realize, I think most athletes at about three to four years of serious like strength or like force training and force as as in the sense of like weight room stuff, right? Like heavier masses, trying to push some weight three to four years, you probably topped out everything that they need from an athletic mm -hmm. development perspective. Yeah, everything that's after that, not to say a weight room isn't important. If an NBA basketball player wants to play for 20 years, they probably need to stay in the weight room, but it's for a totally different purpose than to achieve more force or more strength development. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. Okay. Next question. Who will benefit from this kind of work? Are there certain populations that are more responsive to elastic training than others? Do you give it to everybody regardless? Like, I would love to hear your thoughts here. Yeah. Again, it's, it's not so much like plyometric, like I think the big thing that would be very population dependent is like how I'm infusing like plyometric type activities and the intensity there if we're talking yep. a lot. But other than that, it's almost more of just a mentality of training. I mean, I also think that there's particular groups. Like I said, like there is initiatory elements. So if, it's like, if this is like a high school football team or something, yeah, I'm probably going to use more barbell work than the tennis team. You know, it's just the way it is. And that's right. fine. And I know, it, I mean, people will say, oh, well, Oh, these tennis players or, or whatever, name your sport that isn't a contact or collision sport, right? I mean, right. and the argument would be, oh, well, they're just so weak. They need to get strong. It's like, well, look at the builds of the top people in that sport. Yes. What do they look like? And, right. and you have to get past the fact that they're not bodybuilders and they can't squat that much. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really for everybody, especially the body weight package. And and I love um, Andy Ryland, who works for education at USA Football, and they do an amazing, amazing work. Talked about when he was on my podcast. There's the human on the base level. There's the human. Then there's the athlete. Then there's the specialist. Yeah. And so for me, that base body weight package and the way we go about being reflexive with our environment, that's all human level stuff. And so yeah. that's really for everybody. I guess just. You know, all the minutiae just depends on exactly who you're working with. Right. Okay. So my next question becomes, when do you start to incorporate your elastic training in your programs? Are there certain ages, times, or like maybe like how do you change the experience from a young athlete, like maybe somebody like your kid's age up to, you know, a high school or a collegiate level athlete? How does that program evolve? Yeah, totally. So with the human, the athlete, and the specialist, I think it's just gradations of where you're at. So training five-year-old soccer players, all human stuff, you know, I'm not, right. they're not doing push-ups or anything. <laughs> right. The, the closest we'll get is like, and I, I do like this as animal warmups. So, yes. Hey, we're going to be animals and it's, and it has to be at that age. It cannot be, we're going to do a bear crawl. It has to be, Hey, crawl like a bear. Show me how a bear crawls, you know, show me how a kangaroo jumps. And it goes back to like Rafe Kelly's stuff where body this, 
show me you can be creative with your body to do this. And the, the awesome thing is like, you know, they're doing kangaroo hops and they're like, I mean, it's plyometric, sure, yeah. but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's so, um, it's just, yeah, human level stuff, no matter where you're at, it's just, how is it packaged? So like, let's say, I don't know, now you're in middle school. Okay. Now maybe it can become more. And Jeremy Frisch does a great job drawing this distinction where it's like before age, like 10 to 12 or so it's all fun. Like it has right. to be all. Fun. And then once you kind of get that age where they're, they are ready, they're mature enough to understand this is play, this is training. Then you can start to turn that into more training. So maybe that is where some of the human level stuff, like all the like I love a lot of crawling and ground-based work, for example, that could be, now we're not pretending we're an elephant. <laughs> and, right. now we're, and now we, let's do a, a bear crawl, a reverse bear crawl, a crab walk combo. You know, let's, can you do a handstand against the wall? Like now we can actually, or, or doing, doing the monkey bars. I mean, it's crazy too, with like bars. Like if you watch kids at the playground, I mean, that's just, it's just fun. It's just, and they're doing stuff that it's just, that's almost one of those skills where, you're an adult and you haven't done it in a really long time. And now you're hanging from just try hanging from one hand from right. a bar and then go watch that seven-year-old doing that with just insane ease. Yes. And so <laughs> it, it's uh so all that stuff is built in. It's just, I guess, how is it packaged? And then almost sometimes too, for people who have been too coached up. So let's just say we're getting into high school and college. And this is where I, I do think that I, I also made a break here. And I, and I realized this is, okay, like, man, I've been dictating every single set and rep for these guys. And I got to the point, I don't think this was just like apathy. Like there is, you know, you could say you've been in a job for so long and there's like a kind of a demotivation that might happen. I don't right. think that it was this at all because I was always motivated to keep working and keeping athletes engaged and, and really try to like find ways to make the, the room come alive. But my warmups eventually became, you could have two options. Option one, I wrote it all out for you, like to, to all the little sets and reps of all the med ball stuff or crawls or whatever. Right. Option two, here's some, it just said monkey bars, dip stand or parallettes, uh, crawl. And it just said, do these three things for 10 minutes. That's it. Yeah. You, you, you do whatever you want. And so that was also a thing that became important over time was here are some basic apparatuses that kids might use. You, you explore, you play around. I mean, you guys are going to experience a ton of everything else you are doing as an athlete today is probably going to be largely dictated to you by a coach. Yes. Where can I give you room to actually just do whatever the, you know, make insert right. word here you yeah. want, you know, like yeah. let's make the time to do that. So that would be a big thing as well. But in terms of like just the general proportions, I could talk proportionality, youth, all body weight. So let's say, I mean, I don't, I mean, up until age 12, I'm probably not going to really have a kid I, I see no need for them to be doing barbell stuff at all. Right. Even, even dumbbells, it's kind of still like adults trying to impose on, on kids strength and you can do so much with your body weight. I mean, yeah. to me, it's like the questions to ask, can you, uh, can you crawl for like a hundred yards without stopping with your knees close to the ground, like Tim Anderson style? Can you yeah. do that? Can you hold an isometric lunge in a good position for at least a minute and a half, two minutes? Can you do that? Can you do like hopping in place for at least several minutes without your ankles totally getting lax? And, and, and can you do that? And if you can't, why are we rushing to put dumbbells and barbells in your hand if you don't even have these basic human level things? And so I really want to take those pretty far. And then the barbells will come in, you know, middle school, high school, more, 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 more college. Yes. But so basically it's just 
the body weight will go down, the barbells will go up, but then it also just depends on where you are. What does the person look like in the high level of your sport? You know, right. the, and that would dictate how much lifting that we would actually do in the program. I love your thoughts on the warm up too. So it's funny you mentioned Jeremy. I literally just got off the phone with him. So yeah. <laughs> your guys' shows are going to be, you know, a week or two apart. But one of the things that we were talking about, especially with our young kids, like, one of my favorite things to do is, yeah, you know, if you want it, I've got this scripted warm up. Your alternate warm up is to find another kid that's in here or a couple kids or go grab an intern and play a game. So whether it's spike ball, uh, handball against the wall, throwing the football, like playing one on one basketball, like I am totally fine with that as a warm up for most of these kids. Right. Because like you said, it's one of the, the few times in their day where they get to have some say as to what they're going to do. Versus constantly being dictated to. So I love that, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's that's awesome with Jeremy too. Yeah, I really love the stuff that he's doing. And it's just, it is this whole thing of like this overstructure. And it's a whole nother rabbit trail, right? But like right. this mass overstructuring of all things kids do. And it's just like just giving a little bit of just that exploration and that free play. It's so cool. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so kind of the last question here. And again, keeping in mind elastics aren't plyometrics. Like where does this fit into your program or is really like this just a style of programming to you? Because that's more what it sounds like. It's not like this is a plyometric or a jump and I'm going to put it in here in my program. It's like, it sounds like to me, as we've gone through this, this is just more like a thought process and a way of training. So you're going to use it. It stops all throughout the session. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. It's, not, it's a it's lifestyle. Not, I love it. Elastic lifestyle. training. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> I mean, even let's just say like a squat, right? Like yeah. even a squat can be that. And so, for example, let's just say, I mean, I'm sure you could have a ton of things to follow up here with, but like, okay, I'm going to do a powerlifting. I'm going to shove my knees out and I'm going to sit back, right? Positions. Right. Those are positions that I've been coached into that decrease reactivity versus a squat with a more moderate to narrow stance where you let the femurs do what they want to right. do, let pronation happen, you let supination happen. Yeah. How much more athletic is that squat than shoving your knees out or trying to hit a position in a squat? Yep. And so it goes to everything, every single thing you do, just letting the energy flow, how the human body is meant to store and return energy. Yep. So yeah, I would just say it's a it's kind of a paradigm for everything. I love it, man. Yeah, it's just, I, I love the way you think. It's so different because I feel like there's a natural tendency in me to want to have organization, right? So like I kind of have this way that I want to do things, but then there's also been this kind of, I don't know, mental resurgence, if you will, where it's like, I don't want to dictate everything. And it's like, not everything can be solved with a barbell. Like, what can we do with jumps and throws and sprints and playing more games? Like, how many athletic holes can we fill in? By doing more of that than just trying to heavy strength train everybody year round all the time. So paradigm shift. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's elastic training. It's a lifestyle. That's well, right. the order to chaos thing is an interesting one too. Like I was just had uh, Austin Yoakum on my, we recorded his podcast will come out sometime after this recording, but that was one of the things we talked about is this order to chaos spectrum, if you will. And different coaches are wired for different levels of like not everyone is wired to be just like, Hey, it's a big free for all. I mean, it, it's, right. not, it's never a big free for all, but you know what I'm saying? Like for some people like are just wired to have things more orderly. And so I'm someone who's definitely wired for chaos and have <laughs> had to, to teach myself order over the years. Right. And so that's actually been something that, and so just balancing those two is really important to me. I, 
I found that a skill I've almost developed is just being able to totally see to my pants, do pretty much any training session. Yeah. And I would encourage people to do that. However, in a safe <laughs> space where you're not, you know, the client isn't going to say, well, what's this guy doing? Like versus also like just having also being able, like I do work with a lot of online clients. And so, yes, I write down programs and uh, for a month's time and have it very orderly. And right. but even in that, I like to have options. Okay. Here's option A, here's option B. You can do this. You can do right. this. And, so yeah, the order to chaos thing is a really interesting concept. Yeah. Okay. So obviously we've talked a lot about elastic training. I think it only seems fair that you get to talk a little bit about your elastic essentials course. So tell me about it. What's it all about? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. So it was really the product of the eight years in the division one, just full-time strength coach situation where I did make that move from probably too much lifting, coaching up things too much to this very like human level, free energy return, a little bit more holistic approach. And so, yeah, just getting into the, you know, full-time, just fly sports, private sector, uh, doing, you know, my own personal business, I always had wanted to put out a course. And so it started, the idea kind of for me started as almost like, what could like a little program be? just a training program that in, embodies the different like elastic components and body weight and free energy return. And eventually it just morphed into a course. I'm like, I, I think my mind goes so many directions many times, and then I have to pick up the pieces later <laughs> and just put it in a org, as you could probably tell. And so it took me a long time to really like have all these ideas on, on how I train or my system and how to put that together. And so the core components of the system really are, if you're a land athlete, it's from the ground up. So understanding the feet on a fine-tuned level and understanding what athletic feet and interacting with the ground should be like, and then going into uh, body weight movements and how do I approach body weight training and all levels of that. And then I get into, in the course, I get into plyometrics and sprinting from that reactive uh, proposition, not the positions. And in the course too, I'll show like, well, how is a bound different when you react to the ground versus, oh, just hit this position, just drive your knee and, and end up with your thigh parallel in front. Right. How is it different when you can actually react to the ground? Mm -hmm. And so that's how I do my speed. And that's where like, um, if you look at things in terms of right brain, left brain, or masculine, feminine type, type philosophical constructs, yeah. my yeah. motor learning approach is a very uh, right brain feminine, if you will. Whereas I feel like if we're chasing outputs and structuring a program, that's more of a masculine proposition. And so how right. do we marry right. these two to get, yes, I want the outputs, but I also want to move fluidly and reflexively and, and just to be able to store and release energy and, and feel it. So those two, that's where the, the movement and the plyometrics and speed are built in. And then I have an upper and lower body lifting just built on what I was saying, just not over coaching things. And how do I let energy flow if I'm actually using weights and programming? So yeah, it took me a long time to put it all together, but right. I think it came out pretty well. So it's like, how do I put all this like lifetime of learning or, or whatever and evolution in, in a program? I'm sure you're familiar with that as well. Took it's a little time. When, uh, when will people be able to pick it up again? That, yeah, it's not like an everyday thing that you can buy it, correct? Yes, we just um, did a launch recently. And then we're looking to do the next launch in January. I'm looking at January 13th being the uh, launch next launch date. So we'll be launching that program at that point. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll make sure people know about that. So last but not least, we have our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Cool. Awesome. Number one, what lessons did you learn? while creating your course? <laughs> I think how 
how expansive and crazy my mind can be and how <laughs> I, I need to just, just how, if I was to do that and say half the time, how I would structure, like just, I learned a lot about how my mind works yeah. and I've written too, and it's, they've taken forever, but I think I've always been able to do that with the safety net of having a full-time job in the background. And so just having a little more urgency to it, understanding how my brain works and, and even to um, how I communicate in the first few recordings of the course, I, I would um, like the first two modules we did, I would, wa- I rewatched myself and how I talk and I would just go on rabbit trails very often. And, and I didn't, I don't think I realized the magnitude of that until I actually realized, okay, these people, this isn't like a podcast, <laughs> this right. is people for a specific topic. And if I'm just going off and rabbit trailing about something, I think it, that can degrade from this, the way the the course is communicated. So a lot of it was an evolution in my communication and being more grounded. And also there is, I do have the the wiring of, um, I think the insecurities of my youth, like look how much I know about this. And that would cause more rabbit trails, validate, trying to validate myself, but all these knowledge things that, I mean, I'm sure are valuable on some level, but degraded from the messaging. And so coming, coming into close proximity with my insecurities and how that impacted my messaging, that was really valuable for me. Yeah. See, that's why I asked that question, because I think you learn a lot about somebody. It's like one thing to write an article or do a podcast, something that's very like low risk, but something like this, where you're putting like your life's work into a product. I feel like you learn a lot about yourself along the way. So that's why I asked that. It's interesting. Okay. We kind of talked about this before. You said you touched 11.7. That was your best. Do you know what your actual vert was then? Like, did you do the touch and then get the, the, the approach jump? So, you know, like what the actual like number was, I wish I would have, I mean, I know that my touch was about eight one. So Jeez. Uh, a 36 inch vertical would have me at 11 one. So then put like six 40, more inches on that. Two. So 42, 42, like legit 42. That's um, crazy. That's, that's running. So standing, I remember at that point I could get my wrists like an inch over the rim. So that was uh, about a 31 maybe a 32 true standing bird at that point with like almost no knee bend too. I remember yeah. it was a very pogo sticky type. Yeah. And that changed in my twenties. I got way more down and deep into it. Later. Well, yeah. The strength and, training probably, probably uh, steered some of that, right? Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. My squat uh, improved quite a bit and I, I weighed a little bit more too. Just everything just got a little, just more muscle to deal with more compression, yes. more lifting. It just changed that movement signature a little bit. And so that's actually something I've been trying to just doing more expansive, you know, like, like yeah. in that expand everything, just thinking about how much compression is inherent to this movement I'm doing. And then just trying to do more expansive stuff. I'm like, yeah, I can get a little bit of that old self get back, it back. Yeah. By, by doing those activities. Yeah. Unfortunately I've gained probably 40 to 50 pounds since high school. So I don't know if I'm going to get it all back, but I can try and get some, right? A little bit back. A little bit. Okay. I'm really interested in this one because like you said, are you 40 or you're approaching 40? I turned 38 in September. Okay. So so approaching 40. What I'd love to hear is how you've modified your jump training as you've aged. Have you changed volume, intensity? Do you like take it in and out? Like what have you done? Because you still jump pretty, pretty darn high, right? Uh, yeah, I could still dunk. I mean, if I, if I'd have to throw myself an alley oop though, like it, <laughs> it, it's not like I, I'm not just going to take one dribble and just, just cram you know, it. And it's funny because now I'm actually more of a two leg jumper and not in the sense that I couldn't get back to one. And I actually had a really interesting, like in my explorations of movement, I had a profound experience on some, something to help me get back to being a more one leg jumper. If I so desired, 
The thing is, I don't actually, and this is the mental emotional is I don't play basketball with people nearly as much as I would like to. I think right. Yeah, actually like I'm telling you, if I was to be able to, let's say play basketball once or twice a week and do a few dunks after I could almost guarantee my jump will go up two to three inches more than what it is now, just by the virtue of it's an emotionally increased state. Oh, you're around. Sure. I've always been a, like, Oh, people are around like that always just gets me going. And just the way yeah. basketball tunes your body. So, I mean, I know that if I was able to do that, it would definitely help. But one of the big experiences, and this actually really keyed, I think the evolution of that Elastic Essentials course was when I was about 35, I had just finished my book, Speed Strength. And that was a math, I mean, that was a three-year project. And the last year was like, I mean, I was doing my work at Cal and then in my extra time, I'm, I'm writing and just, you know, working my butt off. And then I had just had a, I think my daughter was born in 2016. I'm trying to remember. I think she was, so I had just had a child as well. And so right. my adrenals are just getting like, they're on the ground. I'm just kicking them, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, they're just getting the beat down. And about, it's funny because age 35, I actually, I, I had this like mini training breakthrough where I, I touched 11 one on the vertex, which is off two feet, which is only, that was only three inches off about the best I'd ever done in my life. So I felt like that was pretty good. Um, but then like shortly after that, like that was like the end in sense, in the sense that literally in about a two to three month time span, my lifts all dropped about 20 to 25 pounds, like if not more. And like, my, my jump was like horrendous. And I just felt like it's almost like that 11 one is the last hurrah. And then all the work, all the just life stress, just all the training for the last 20 years. I just, yeah. I was so much weaker and I, I think i just need to sleep like and i've been trying to get it back a little bit recently actually i've had a yeah. little time but it was this place where it's like i don't have the strength that i used to the outputs the nervous the neural drive and it's like now i have to learn if i still want to jump high and run fast i got really got to get into like just the, the mechanics of this and the flow of elastic energy in my body yeah and it, it it was a blessing in the sense of well now i really have to work hard on everything that i was great that made me great when i was 18 you know right and so uh, anyways, so now a lot of it, I mean, I, I lift twice a week, but the total barbell time, if you had to say like, it's probably like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes a week, if that, right. probably less, like that includes rest. <laughs> Not right. time actually lifting. And everything else, a lot of it is, uh, I do a lot of sprinting. I do a lot of going to the woods with minimal shoes. Like these are my, I do two like kind of uh, fitness or conditioning type days a week. And a lot of times that's, I go to the woods, I'm running trails, I'm experiencing all these little divots in the ground. And that has been so good for my feet. Huh. Like, it, it, and, and I, I talk about foot training a lot and it, there comes a point where uh, you need to increase velocity and complexity to ultimately keep adapting with the feet. And there's really not a whole lot of things more complex than being in minimal shoes and running and running really fast on like really rooty, rocky surfaces. Right. Because your feet have to play so precisely and react so precisely at high velocity to all these different things going on. And so I'll do that. I'll hit some crawls on the local field and things like that. And then in my short sprint days and plyo days, I'm always experimenting. It's always how to, how feeling the movement in a new way. And it, treating it as a learning process as well. So it's a little bit of lifting, but a lot of like running in nature and that's in lieu of basketball. If I was playing basketball, I think that would be a good elasticity, but since I'm not, I go out in the woods, right? <laughs> it's nice out in the woods. So I do that. Yeah. That would be that, like the, the nutshell of it. I do a lot of rhythm, rhythm stuff occasionally too. I learned that from Paul Cater where there's music on it's make techno -y and I have an exercise. I'm trying to hit rhythms and it makes it more engaging and more embodying. And it's also like, it's almost improving that tuning 
of yeah. uh, the muscles and everything. And it brings you in the moment. And then, like I said, too, I'm trying to think about being more expansive. So like doing heels elevated safety bar squats, that's a more expansive lift than like a back squat or For a front sure. squat even. So just being mindful of how much my compress it because the compression of the upper body is aiding the lift and actually trying to minimize that being like, oh, I want to be strong without that element, even if it means there's less weight on the bar. And so that's been a big thing I've been getting into as well. And then trying to rehabilitate my system from all those years of work and then getting into more holistic health and restoration type stuff too, uh, has been big for me just to try to regain a little bit of that here in my, the back half of my thirties. I love it, man. I love it. Okay. Last but not least, what's next for Joel Smith? What are you working yeah. on? What are you excited about? Anything? That's a good one. Well, I'm excited to hopefully get more involved in youth sports. I just see that as this huge, like that's where the need is. Like you got, you know, the yeah. university positions and the, all the resumes that are probably in a huge stack. And it's like, there just needs to be more. My goal is actually to hopefully that I'm getting some more, some more online products out there and things like that. I want to have more time to be able to give my time to work with like youth sports. I want to get involved with, I actually really like to be a high school head track coach. I volunteered a little bit on the high school track level. So okay. basically just doing, getting involved in those jobs. Um, I really want to do more work there. And then I have a book on the foot that I've been sitting on for a while. The course kind of replaced it and yeah. eventually that'll get out there. Maybe do some more work in the world of swimming. We'll see for now. It's just enjoying being part of a community, more of a locality and plugging into athletics on that local level. It's been really good. And I'd like to do more of that. I love it, man. Well, Joel, it's been great catching up with you today. Always love your energy, your enthusiasm for this. Where can my listeners find out more about you? Yeah, head to justflysports.com is probably the main one. That's where the podcast hub is. Uh, so that's www.justflysports.com. Instagram and Twitter, it's just justflysports. So that's probably a good place to head as well. Awesome, man. I'll make sure I get the links in uh, the show notes so they can find you. But again, my friend, always great catching up. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mike. It was awesome chatting today. my friend that does it for this week's show with joel really hope you enjoyed it he's a guy i just love chatting with i love his overarching philosophy i love how he does things he's got a very different background than me which i appreciate because everything that i did coming up revolved around weights and i think joel comes at things from a very different angle and through a very different viewpoint and i find that refreshing and it constantly challenges and checks me to make me think about how i'm training people and if there are other things that i could be doing to make my athletes even better. So love chatting with him. If you haven't already, definitely check out his Elastic Essentials course. I'm getting ready to go through it now. Very excited about that. But if you enjoyed today's show, please do me a favor. If you enjoy the podcast as a whole, or even especially this particular podcast, take two seconds out of your day and share it with one of your friends. The more people that we have listening to the show, commenting, interacting, subscribing to the show, the more positive influences we're going to have throughout our industry, whether it's young trainers, coaches, rehab professionals. So if you know anybody that you think would benefit from today's episode, please just take a second or two out of your day, share it with that person. I would greatly appreciate it. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support, love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>